This is Han Solo, and you're listening to Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. I don't know. Fly casual. What is going on, everyone? And welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast where I am pleased to say we are finally heading back into the glorious radiant, shiny era of the High Republic, specifically a little bit before the last High Republic adventures that we were in. I'm so excited to be talking about phase two of this glorious initiative today with one of the key authors, somebody who has joined the Luminous team to help craft this story and put it all together. If you've been following these episodes before, you know that we've been super high on all of these books and it's been really rewarding, particularly for fans of the Jedi, but also just for fans of optimistic Star Wars overall. Um, I think that in your worlds of your Andors, you also do need your higher publics to sort of coexist um, to sort of show the whole tapestry of what Star Wars can do and somebody that has helped illustrating that tapestry is our guest today. She has become a fan favorite very quickly just to like sort of like, you know, just to hype you up a little bit. People like (laughs) constantly you hear how much people love to crash a fade constantly, how much people are excited for Convergence, excited to have this person in the High Republic roster. And that is, of course, Zoraida Cordova. Hello. How are you? Hi. Oh, my God. That was such a lovely intro. Thank you so much. Oh, I I try. I mean, you deserve it. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you for making the time to come on the show. I know that right now, I mean, you are about to launch the beginning I'd say the word adult in quotations, the beginning Del Rey novel of this phase. This is a huge moment. This is the new characters. This is part of an era we already knew about, but it's a little bit before. It's sort of prequelizing the prequelizing. And and it's it's a really, really special moment. So I imagine, A, lots of people asking for your time, and B, it's got to be surreal to be in that place of, oh, everyone's about to be in on the secret. It's not mine anymore in yeah. totality. It's not mine anymore. It is now. I mean, as soon as digital arc started going out and people started reading it and those who follow me, you know, that have been like sliding into my DMs to be like, oh my God, I just read it. That has been really cool and rewarding uh, and and super exciting because, you know, I was such a nervous wreck while writing this book um, because it needed to do so many things. And, you know, for the, the test is always like in the readership, do, you know, did I pull it off? Did I pull this thread enough? Uh, is this character as cool as they were in my mind? Mm. You know, like, and so all of those things, now I'm getting to see those realized and, um, and, and, and watch the entire thing become something for the readers, which is, you know, that's part of the the author journey. Yeah. And I guess there has to be that struggle, something that I'm fascinated with, with all types of artists, particularly with authors and with filmmakers and people that are doing narrative stuff is the idea of how much of it has to be for you and how much of it has to be for the audience. Where is that balance? Can you ever find it? Are you always trying to find it? And so we'll get into some of that. But to do that, we have to go back to the beginning. And so we're going to do everyone's favorite thing. And that's uh, talk about one person in the conversation exclusively. You get to talk about yourself now. I know everyone loves that. Uh, Everyone (laughs) loves to be asked about themselves. Take me back to the beginning, 
your background, your childhood, this the sci-fi, the fantasy of it all. Was that something that was really encouraged when you were coming up by your parents, by a mentor, aunts, uncles, whoever? Was that something that you were able to find fairly easily? Or does this all come later? Was it was it maybe in middle school, high school? What's your journey with genre and things like that? Well, my my journey with genre is is strange. I feel like if, if you've listened to me talk about writing, you've probably already heard this, but uh, for those of you who haven't, I started writing when I was around 13. I got an assignment from a teacher to, to read an extra credit, whatever, mm. uh, and write a book report on it. And I chose a vampire book written by a teenage girl named Amelia Water Rhodes. And uh, it was published by a real publisher. It was published by Random House, actually, uh, Delacorte at the time. And, um, and so, and when I looked at the book and I saw, I saw this like young girl who was literally my same age that had published a book, I was like, wait, publishing and fantasy is not just for like old men. Mm. <laughs> Cause I really didn't have an understanding, you know, the books that they gave us in school were by predominantly dead white authors. And if they weren't, if like the authors were still alive, like, you know, like the number of teachers that try to give me the house on Mango Street because they were like, oh, you're an immigrant. You can relate to this. And and at the end of the day, like I didn't want that story, like as yeah. as as formative as House on Mango Street is for so many people. It wasn't my story. And it was just sad. So like I wanted mm-hmm. fantasy. And so I wanted these vampire books. I wanted to explore that. And and so um so I would go to the then I was like, okay, now then I discovered libraries because you know, my mom my mom, uh everyone in my family worked, you know, all day and uh and the only time we had together was like at when everyone came home at night and you know, my mom and my grandmother would watch telenovelas or or all Spanish media, all media in Spanish, mm-hmm. um, because like that was all that was on TV. We, you know, it was either that or PBS. So mm-hmm. we didn't have cable. And so uh, I when I discovered libraries, I would just go in there and type words that I thought were magical, like witch or vampire or werewolf. And whatever came up in the teen section, I would check that out and take them all home. And so that's really sort of how my journey with fantasy evolved and of course i watched we watched moot like fantasy movies you know like willow and star wars and uh the original merlin you know like stuff like Mm -hmm. that like i was we were really into these like old fantasy movies um and whatever whatever we could rent (laughs) at blockbuster and and so those things were really formative for me and now we're here and i still i my debut novel was a fantasy novel, urban fantasy mostly, is what I've written, and now Star Wars. Yeah, and now I, I love how you can say casually, and now also Star Wars, <laughs> um, which is a huge thing. But I, by the way, I was not expecting the the rush of memories when we got the Mango Street name drop in there. Like that was, <laughs> yeah, they really did. Like it's that. It's uh, there was like the one book, right? Yeah, like, like the like, Watsons oh, go Latino. to Birmingham. Here's like, one book. <laughs> yeah, we had one book for Latin folks. That's that. That's Mango Street. We had one book for the black kids in class. There's Watsons go to Birmingham. Uh, if you're in Florida, like I am, you got Hoot. Uh, they just they, they were just going to the well every single time. Yeah, they, yeah, they really did. And 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 only now are we starting to see some expansion. I hear things sometimes from my nephews or from uh, you know friends that are talking about their siblings or a couple friends of mine that have become teachers that thankfully, at least in some places, uh, they're 
expanding. There is a little bit more freedom to select things, but you really, the onus really was on parents and on you. And I, I love that story about you going and searching those genre specific words. What do you think it was about that stuff that attracted you even then as a teenager in terms of sort of that that heightened quality, the mythic quality, something that was out of this world as opposed to anything else that you could have maybe gotten interested in? I think it's because I grew up in, I grew up in Queens, New York. Uh, I was born in Ecuador, of course. And uh, we moved, we immigrated when I was around six. Uh, so whenever first grade was. <laughs> um, and so I, and so for me, fantasy I couldn't, I didn't have the language to describe it that way. But now, now that I have the language and now that I look, I can look at my body of work, right? And say, oh, this is a theme that perpetuates uh, mm. throughout my body of work. And you can see it in Convergence too, which is like the search for home. And so for me, it was easier to really, to like think about the search for home in a fantastical setting where it's like, oh, this, a witch or a vampire trying to figure out how to be normal, how to assimilate to, to being human, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, and so I, I can see that metaphor in the earlier things that I wrote. And in late, my later work, like the Brooklyn Bruja series, which is like a Latina version of Charmed, actual Latina magic, right? Like, uh, where they, you know, the they're, they're, they reject their magical ancestry, right? And like, and then have to realize that they, 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 they actually want to be brujas and witches and whatever. And so I, I understand, I, I understand, I think that the pull of all of this, you no, know, discovering Lord of the Rings when the movies mm. were coming out, right? And seeing that, like, that Buffy, uh, supernatural, like all of these, all of these things, like they had such a pull for me because it was for the search of identity and belonging. And, and, and I think that like, I've been trying to write that story, or I've been writing a version of that story for the last 10 years. And do you feel like you're, I, I just, yeah, that, that was beautifully said. I, I love the idea of people sort of, you can look at the body of work and say they're, they're having, they're in conversation with themselves. They're unpacking something. Yeah. Uh, something is yeah. happening in, internally. Something is being worked out. I've made fun of uh, our mutual friend and wonderful author, Daniel Jose Older. I've said, you're <laughs> constantly talking about uh, dad stuff, lesbians, and how much you love to drink coffee. And he's like, yeah, that, uh, that sounds about right. He's that like, sounds, you know, <laughs> Daniel's like, Daniel, I feel like Daniel and I, he's my bro. Like, I feel like we're parallel in so many ways. Like there was a period of time when it was just me and Daniel writing uh, fantasy as like the two Latinos in YA in mm -hmm. the year like 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. Now there's a ton more, but I feel like, you know, my books, it's like daddy issues and the search for home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and how Star Wars is that, right? Like that's the, I've said a hundred times that Return of the Jedi remains my favorite, even if I could maybe, I have days where it's like, oh no, I think this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite. I always go back to Return of the Jedi because that for me was working out my dad stuff and and everyone's having that connection or that's why i love simba that's why i love aragorn it's that thing that hangs over your protagonist your hero of am i defined by x can i find you know this sense of belonging which is in all the things that you mentioned i mean throwing in buffy throwing in supernatural the idea of well you were chosen well why was i chosen because you were and what about that and and in terms of supernatural that family element and stuff so after you know you said this body of work all answering the question how do you think that you've changed your approach to the answer do you feel closer do you or do you feel like 
I'm just finding new questions every time that I unpack it. I I think I'm I think I'm finding new questions. I think that because uh, there is no answer, right? There's no answer. I mean, probably the answer is therapy, but uh, <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but it is cheaper to express yourself. And uh, also with writing, I get paid. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a revert. It's an income ra- rather than a huge <laughs> expense. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a huge part of it. But I think that I guess there's a I wouldn't presume to speak for you and feel free to tell me if you disagree. Is is that almost exciting that you can still be surprised? I mean, I, I guess if you felt like I told my story, like that would sort of be sort of like hitting a wall. I would almost imagine like I did it and I'm done. I don't know if any, I don't know if there is an author that has hit that point. People walk away. People try different things. But once you're in this, it feels like you you have to be finding, I guess, new angles as well. New comma, yeah. yes, ands for the question. It, yeah, I have to find I have to find new new approaches and and just and and now I think you know with uh the the year coming to an end I'm I'm sort of in, I'm already thinking in that space of well what comes now what comes later what what do I do now I wrote this book that felt like like this was my book which is called the inheritance of Arcadia Divina I'm like what now what do I do now and so I'm I'm still trying to figure that out so I don't have any good answers do you feel a certain or I promise for everyone listening that's like when are we gonna talk about Star Wars we're going to this is all very <laughs> important this is all part of the Star Wars journey um and it really is I'm always fascinated talking to people that work on Star Wars because there's that moment where we're like oh, we've already said it like young person looking for home, looking for this. Like, yeah, there's a reason why we all end up in here. There's a reason why the higher public has focused on so many of these wonderful Jedi that are all having their sort of quest and everything. But there's a quest behind the quest. And and in that, you have these books out now and this idea of what's next in, in sort of this culture of what have you done for me lately as Convergence is about to hit. And we're recording this episode not far, far out, but this we're recording it a little bit. It's going to land closer to release. Are you feeling sort of the, well, that chapter's over? Or have you sort of, are you at a place in your life where you can revel in the celebration of its release and then move on? I am definitely reveling in the celebration of Convergence. Uh, I worked so hard. There were so many late nights trying to get this book done in time um, for release and um, getting to know Gelinatai, who is one of the four main characters, and she's on the cover of the book, really like learning who she was with every draft and being surprised by by her journey. Um, that's still very exciting to me. For me, it's going to be great being able to see uh, how people react to her and the rest of the cast. Mm. Um, so I'm still, I'm still reveling in it. I, I feel like I'll, I'll revel in it through the year. And when it comes to hopefully celebration, you know, like, <laughs> and, 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 uh, the time that, which is around when book two comes out and mm-hmm. that's Cataclysm by Lydia Kang. Um, so I'm going to be very excited to, to head over, you know, to, to, to watch every, the story spill over into the sequel, uh, the companion novel, um, and and that'll be just a, a grand old time for me. It's going to be interesting, right? I, I, I'm always amazed witnessing it and the High Republic, the original five from the phase one team um, that are still all on the team. It just got bigger and nobody left for people that are for people following along at home with the roster. It's just growing. Um, the 
seeing your own characters walk up to you in cosplay, somebody say, oh, that that moment was for me. I felt like that was me. Like all of that is still to come. And that's what excites me for everyone who's involved is, you know, but you said celebration by the time that comes around, like somebody might be coming up to you and saying like, oh, that moment broke my heart or oh, like spoilers for phase one before I say what I'm about to say. I'm giving you a chance to get out now if you have not read The Fallen Star. But when I got to meet Claudia Gray at this past celebration, I got to tell her Orla Jereni is my favorite character in the High Republic. But I could not have asked for a cooler, like more compelling death, like how even the sadness hits Star Wars fans. Like we latch on to some of the weirdest things, some of the saddest things, some of the scariest things. And I'm really excited to see what people are going to be uh, latching up to. I'm, by the way, I'm also glad that you said her name and have cleared up the what kind of G is it. I'm glad that that has been settled now audibly. Gela. <laughs> Gela. Gela Natai, because I, I think it was at Celebration that we first saw. Celebration Anaheim yeah. first saw the cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we maybe got her name, if not on StarWars.com. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and I, I remember It was thinking, instant. I didn't even think, uh, it was instant. Like, yeah. how do you pronounce this? I was like, oh, right. The G's. G's are hard. G's are hard, especially in the internet. I don't want to get into the gift but it will haunt us forever over <laughs> forever every that, that's word. gonna be our legacy that is the legacy of the internet generation <laughs> it's true when when we're all fallen and like something cataclysmic takes us all out they're gonna find like and that'll be our hieroglyphics so like they argued about the color of this one dress this one time and they talked about how to pronounce g yeah mm-hmm. it, it was uh, i think that seeing the way that particularly Gela and and Mr. Greylock are going to uh, uh, play <laughs> with fans. Uh, oh, ex- excited mm-hmm. about that. I'm excited for the fan art. I'm excited for the cosplay. I'm excited for all the tweets. I'm excited for everything. So let's talk about the Star Wars of it all in depth. We're back. You're searching vampires. You're searching for these stories, searching for these fantasies, searching for these werewolves and, and realizing like, oh, this story could also be my story. Now, of course, I'm not sure if anyone listening noticed Star Wars pretty white, pretty, pretty male, male centric uh, and heteronormative for the majority of its existence. So Star Wars is not going to be the thing that you can say, I saw myself directly, you know, now that's changing. And some kid now that's watching Andor is going to have that some kid that's going to watch the sequel trilogy, young girls, young boys have already had that, which is great. It's going to be different 10 years from now. We're going back to teenage Zoraida in terms of the Star Wars and all that stuff, or even younger, elementary, toddler, whatever. What grabs you about that galaxy in particular that made it maybe different than some of the more uh, horror stuff, urban fantasy, Star Wars versus not versus Star Trek, but, you know, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings. Why this galaxy out of all of them? I think it was, and I've answered this question a lot. It's it's like how and when, when it comes to Star Wars. I think that's the thing that Star Wars fans try to remember, right? How did we become fans? When did we become fans? And for me, it's it, Star Wars felt feels now omnipresent. Hmm. Um, and my brother, who's five years younger than me, I still call him like my little brother. He's 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> that still counts. That still counts. He's yeah. so little. <laughs> He's my baby. He's my baby bro, baby Cordova. And, uh, you know, we would watch the movies after school. Uh, sometimes it was the only thing to get him to want to go to school. It's like putting on the VHS, mm. uh, in the morning to, to like get him out of bed. <laughs> um, cause he's, you know, lazy bones, uh, with school. So was I, to be honest. And, and so it was the only thing that would, that we, that basically like we watched together and it, 
I think there there was just something about the visuals, the starscape of the background, which is only like, you know, watching sci-fi shows now, it's like nothing feels like Star Wars except for Star Wars. Even like any any other sci-fi that I've watched, even something like The Expanse, which is one of the coolest shows that I ever that, that I've watched in the the recent years. You know, with their ships and their you know real science, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it still doesn't feel like Star Wars. Um, and I don't think anything ever will. And so like, it was a combination of that, of like the, the visuals that were singular, the space swords, right? Like these like light swords mm-hmm. um, and Princess Leia. And I think those were the things that for me were like, I was like, oh my God, there's a princess and she has a blaster gun and she's fierce. And she just, she tells people what's what. And, um, and that was so important to me as a little girl and it stuck with me for until now. I think that, yeah, that, that legacy can never be, can never be, I think, emphasized enough in terms of now we look back on Leia and Ripley and we look been, you know, and then 15, 20 years later, Buffy, and then they sort of feel like institutions, but the, the historical context of that, I think is always going to be so special and, and sort of how that character continues to endure it is really timeless and how keeping star wars i think out of time and both in the far-flung future and in the far-flung past and ambiguous and sort of how a long time ago in a galaxy far far away functions as once upon a time and how they're able to put the fallibility into it i think has always made it special and and the question of how star wars doesn't feel like other things you're by the way you're the second person in like two weeks that's expanded uh, expanded recommended the expanse to me so I definitely have to check that out now. But in terms of just everything, it, there's nothing that feels like it that has pulp and a classic romance to it, but also something operatic, but also something kind of cool. And now that now we're seeing these different tones that have happened with things like Visions and with Andor and with The Mandalorian, which are all three so equally Star Wars, but all three could not be more different, which I think is really exciting. I guess mm-hmm. in terms of your, we'll continue to unpack the Star Wars of it, but at some point to be an author, you have to decide to be an author. So when you decide to do that, A, is is everyone like, yeah, do that. We believe in you, your family, your friends, like that's that should be, that's the career for you. That makes sense for Zoraida. And with that, was Star Wars ever on the mind or was that something that did not even seem feasible? Well, I I think I've always had a very supportive family. Of course, you know, my immigrant mother probably would have preferred if I became a doctor or a lawyer. But (laughs) as you do, as one does, that's that's tradition in and of itself. Yeah. So it's fine. Here we are. Um, And now she, you know, she's she's proud of me. Her coworkers all think I'm cool because I they're all like, you know, 56 year old men who love Star Wars. And so they're (laughs) like, I can't believe it. And I can't believe it either. Uh, So uh, I think that um, Star Wars was not on my brain because I didn't know how intellectual property worked when Mm -hmm. I first started writing. So for the first four years of my career, I had no idea. I was just like, oh, they must. I I, I didn't even have an, a theory of how these books were written. Mm. I just knew that I knew there were Buffy tie-ins when I was a kid. Uh, I had seen the Star Wars original novels. And um, when I read uh, Lost Stars, I was like, oh, Claudia wrote for Star Wars. But I, I didn't really... I. Because I truly never thought it would be a possibility for me, mm. I just didn't... I didn't ask how... It, one author got picked. 
So, yeah. It is mysterious. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where Star Wars podcasters, pundits, fans, entertainment commentators, we get so in our bubble that I think that we forget that it is kind of mysterious. I remember being um, of that prequel kid generation going to my library and picking up uh, the first Star Wars book I ever read was The Jedi Apprentice. I think it's number 14, maybe number 17, The Cult of Vengeance by mm. J- Jude Watson, who I got to talk with her via tweet one time, which was just surreal and tell her like, you were my first Star Wars author. That's amazing. And back then thinking, well, I guess they must just have a stable of writers that's at Lucasfilm just clinking away all day. Like, is that what it is? Like, <laughs> do they have their own publishing? And there is, you know, the Lucasfilm press and everything. But now we know really how it works is a combination of pitch, a combination of finding you, a combination of initiatives. Like, it's way more nuanced and way more um, in terms of putting a team together, like has happened in Higher Republic, a, a, a project that I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what it was like to be uh, Mr. Mike Seglain during the past few years in terms of everything that has happened. Yeah, I feel like we should all like collectively get Mike like a, a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I really, yeah. I, I He, like that guy, for those of you that don't, that don't know, Michael Seglain is, uh, is I, I, I don't want to get his title wrong, but the head of Lucasfilm Publishing. Um, mm-hmm. and, Great and director. Yeah, creative director of Lucasfilm Publishing and is the one that says, well, Avengers Assemble, this is the team. These are going to be the people um, that are going to come in and... Yeah, I mean the the understatedness of his leadership. Vision. Is he has a so vision. Cool. Yeah, he has a great vision. He's a great leader, and um, and he just like makes he really cares about the authors and he cares about the projects. Um, and that was really you know, I, I, uh, he's the one who pulled me into the High Republic. Um, and I remember getting a text from him, and he was like, "Have you checked your email?" And I was like, "No, I've been <laughs> actively avoiding my email. Should I?" And there, you know, and of course there was like the invitation that I hadn't I hadn't read <laughs> for Which a couple is, of days. Yeah, I mean that's amazing, and and we'll get more <laughs> into the nitty gritty of the Star Wars of it, but we have to talk about that before we can get into how Star Wars, why Star Wars, and so some of that personal choice stuff when it comes to the brand and the story. That moment. So you're already a Star Wars author. That's yes. uh, that. That's already that bridge has been crossed. You were mm-hmm. part of this amazing initiative to help flush out this planet of Batu, this new corner of the Star Wars galaxy. So the prospect of hey, we're doing something new. We want you to be a part of it by way of a novel. On those terms, you've been down that road, mm-hmm. but. There was not in the case of the Batu stuff and of expanding out with Delilah Dawson and with Ethan Sachs and with Will Sliney and everybody that worked on the Galaxy's Edge stuff. You were the team that happened, parks open, and then we move on. This was, there's already five people and a bunch of artists and a bunch of concept artists and a bunch of editors that have all been doing this thing. Now I'm new to the party. So I'm in the Star Wars family, but I'm like, I'm changing lunch tables. How did that sort of feel in terms of not matching tone? Because of course they picked you for you, but mm-hmm. in terms of, okay, I need to understand what's different about the Star Wars, what's new about this Star Wars, what are the conversations like with people like Daniel, like Claudia, like Charles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I guess I'll attack the first part, which is like, I think that it, it was not super dissimilar from the process of writing for Galaxy's Edge uh, because there is like, here's a massive secret document that's time stamped every time you open it. Right. And, um, and, and I had to learn this new information and sort of see where they were taking the initiative. 
and where they wanted my story, the pitch that I would send, right? Like, they're like, we want this. They basically gave me like guidelines of like, this is where we want it to be set. And we want X, Y, Z in it. And, and you can pick from, you can either pick from these characters or you can create your own. And I chose a mixture of both. And so from there, I'd send in my pitch of like, I think my pitch was like, I want to write like a man from uncle spy thing. And it, it, it evolved. It didn't stay truly that like, I did keep some of like, I don't know if you watch man from uncle, but it's such a great movie. Um, yeah. I've seen the film. I've never seen the original. I've never seen the show. I've never yeah, seen the I original, either. but, the but that, film... that's, an, that's an underrated film. It's really oh my good. God, such a, like Henry Cavill has never been better. Like I know he's yeah. a fantastic, he's great at everything, but like he was so good in this movie and he like him and uh, what's his face. The uh, other guy. The, is it now, now since perhaps, uh, perhaps Cannibal, never to be seen can- again. Yeah. yeah. Army Hammer. <laughs> yeah. Army Hammer. Right. I'm sorry. I yeah. truly could not remember his name. And like the two of them are basically like, two people two agents who have to work together yeah for this one cause like that really that that part of it is what stayed in convergence mm-hmm. right gella and axel mm-hmm. complete opposites working together for one cause and we and, love an um, odd couple we love an odd couple in lo- star wars yes. yeah i i love it and so um so i you know then i gave that pitch uh i gave an outline of what i would do and of what i wanted and um and and that's that's really how that that entire process went. Then afterward, you know, we we, we have these like meetings where with everybody, and we just talk about like updates and you know secret Star Wars stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the star. I, we will get like it's always fun when they release like the little video packages and stuff. The the famous one is the the whiteboard where it just has dinosaurs and stuff from uh-huh. from from phase one. So there's, I, I'm fascinated by that process, fascinated by the collaboration. You touched on something there that I, I wanted to ask about, which is the idea of Star Wars characters. It's always fascinated me. And a lot of the authors that have been on the show or authors that haven't been on the show have faced the, I, th- I think from the outside looking in, uh, equally daunting challenges of taking on a Star Wars character that already exists and creating a new one. Those are like separate but equal scary things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we had Justina Ireland on a while back when when the first phase was on and Justina has written Lando. It's like, that's mm-hmm. an iconic character, but she's also created stuff. We had Adam Christopher on, Shadow of the Sith. He's writing Luke Skywalker. He's right. writing Ben Solo. He's writing uh, Ochi of Bastoon and giving that character a personality, but also Ray's parents giving them personalities, but also making a bunch of new. You've done both and you've come into an era that you were not, I don't know what word to use, but like the architectural um, framework of the higher public is already there. Mm-hmm. You know, coming in, we're moving you back 150 years. Some people will be around. Um, I don't want to spoil Convergence or or Quest for the Hidden City or any or Path of Deceit or any of them that have come out because I know that, you know, new wave hits it's and everybody's not, like, ah. Yeah. yeah, it's not a spoiler to say that Yaddle is in, in phase yes. two. Yes, that's yeah, not a spoiler. Like that has yeah. been revealed. That's um, been revealed. So that's one. That's Yaddle. Uh, it's not a spoiler to say that Porter Angle's around. Because that's Porter Angle is going to have the blade, and I'm sure it'll pop up other places. And and there's you know there are those returning faces, um, but you get that option when you're talking about. I the generally, page. yeah, I generally stick to new characters, and I don't know why. <laughs> I think like I I would of course absolutely love to write some other characters, like existing characters. Like I have my favorites. Like I would love to write Kylo and slash Ben Solo, and like 
Cassian Andor, of course, like my king. And, and you know, of course, you know, give, give. But I, I think that there's something about the unexplored, like the uncharted parts of Star Wars that are really exciting. Mm. Uh, and then bring in some illusion. I have written, you know, like I, I, in one of the short story collections, I wrote Boba Fett. And that one, mm. I was so excited because I love Boba Fett in the Clone Wars TV show. And so I wrote with that kid in mind, right? Like as an as a man, like who does who is he as a man after we've watched him sort of grow up? You were ahead of the curve on that one because then the show kind of did the yeah. showing him, uh, showing the little Daniel Logan version, mm-hmm. watching his father leave. There was a little bit of that element. Oh man, that short story is so good. John Hamm read that. I know in the that audiobook. Was crazy. My <laughs> goodness, I you just jogged my memory. I remember thinking like when from a certain point of view it was announced and they were like, oh, it's got a celebrity cast. I was like celebrity cast i remember looking and be like they got don draper is gonna be reading boba this is crazy um yeah that that was that was a a really great experience you did such a great job with that one i'm a big fan from a certain point of view by the way just people listening go check those out there are some people in there that only wrote star wars once some returning faces and everything it's such a great like mixtape of just star wars love um in a really great way but i'm really intrigued by your answer of saying that you prefer new not that i you know i'm sure there are a lot of people that do um because it's like you take on an iconic character uh and that that immediately injects a little bit of expectation it immediately causes a little bit of a conversation of well is the tone is the voice is everything that we know about them going to be consistent when you're creating a star wars character from the ground up and this sort of gets into a larger conversation of well what is star wars and as as we've gotten further away from star wars it's in this interesting, and I don't say Ouroboros negatively at all, but Star Wars has become Star Wars' own inspiration at times. And some people brush up against that. Some people embrace that, both creator and fan. Some people think it should be utterly broken and deconstructed. Some people don't. And there's tons of nuance in there where like someone like John Favreau says, I want to go to the things that George went to. Other creators say, I want to go to George. Some creators say, I want to go to a new place. Where are you in your head when you're creating a new Star Wars character? Are you thinking, I want to achieve the feeling that Leia or Cassian Andor or Kylo Ren gave me? Or are you saying, who have I been dying to see that has not been there? I think when I approach a character, I specifically go to the original trilogy because I feel like that sets the tone for everything else. Even even though the prequels expand and have a different vibe, that's like the best word I can use. An aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. And then the 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 second the sequel trilogy uh, also has a different aesthetic. And so I I think I just I go to the places I. I like something from every era very deeply. Like my favorites don't always mash up, <laughs> right? Like my favorite movie of the of the new trilogy is The Last Jedi, but I also love uh, of the animated series like my favorite is Rebels. Um Oh, so far we are we are perfectly <laughs> in sync. You right. can stay. You can stay. No, I'm kidding. Thanks. No, yeah. Thanks. I, I can keep yeah. my Star Wars card. <laughs> well, you you say Last Jedi and half the people just cheered, half of them booed, but if you've been I listening know, to this show, it's it. like I get it. I get it's it too. Like, yeah, like, I, they should I, you know I, what? We want I, different things. Exactly. And I would be this is this is not at all to say that there should be like vitriol and bullying. Of course, of course not. We condemn that absolutely. Um please be cool to each other. 
But there is also, there can be, and you see it a lot at celebrations in person. It's interesting how people act differently in person. It's hmm. it's fun to say, oh, that's your favorite? Ah, oh, explain to me why. Like, I didn't get it. Or vice versa. Or like, that's fun. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think I, there are archetypes. I go to the archetypes that George Lucas was writing when he created Star Wars, right? I look at and that's what I do for my fiction in general is look at archetype in story and and the sort of the place where they belong in the story. And then I and then I have to consolidate that who they are to the time period that we're looking at, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically for the High Republic phase two, uh, the Jedi are at the height of their power. And we haven't seen that because we have been introduced to the Jedi as as a fallen order. And then we go into the future, it, like no matter what, like we, we see them, we see the fall of the Jedi, but the High Republic is is the height of it, right? It's for light and life. It's it's we are the Republic, and uh, and that is so interesting because we get to explore these people without the threat of Emperor Palpatine, right? Like how how is the Jedi Order functioned? Uh, who were they before? And and that that has been fascinating for me as a writer. Um, to explore. Um, and that's where I, that's, but I, but again, I like, I, I look at how archetype functions in creating these characters to move forward. Moving forward, exactly what I wanted to touch on. You take those archetypes. I love the way that the sequels and the way that Andor and Mandalorian and Rebels does this too. I mean, Re- Rebels actually is a great example. I've, I've always loved looking at Luke, Ezra, Rey, Cal Kestis, and Anakin. Like, they're all like the young Jedi protagonist hero's journey. Like, they all fill that thing. But how can we take the archetype and inject a sense of self? What is different? about Ezra than about Rey than about Luke okay. um, than about any of our Jedi uh, in the higher public of which there are many some of which are also on that young person's journey what is the personal lens for you in terms of taking that archetype but trying to bring it into the 2020s now uh, obviously you have written Star Wars before the 2020s but the 2010s <laughs> and 2020s this this era trying to create avenues for representation, trying to create ways that different identities, Latin identities can make it into the galaxy far, far away, taking the archetype, but saying, yes, it is that, but also here's how we would see it. Here's how we would do it in a way that through George's experience, he simply could not because of who he was. He was a white guy. Um, Now, the higher public presents to us our most creatively, socially, and and sexually, and ideologically diverse period um, in terms of identities and orientations and, and colors and everything, sizes, the body positivity characters like Ram Jomaram, people um, that are asexual, people that are coded as Latinx, Latin, Latin. It's just been so great to see. So where does the archetypal meet the timeliness? for you well i think because i i i just don't i don't think that archetype means that somebody has to be defaulted as as like a white person Hmm. right like um i think like if you if you look at like i guess like the joseph campbell right like we're looking at archetypes he found archetypes across the world right and these these are archetypes that appear in all kinds of mythology and storytelling all over the world so for me there's really no reason that um modern stories can't reflect that i do think that you know we're you 
I guess we're we're pointing out how like this initiative is so diverse, but I do think like I've been reading some of the legends and you have authors like John Jackson Miller and um, please forgive me for not remembering the name of the novelization of Matthew Stover. Stover. Yeah, like Revenge of the Sith. And like reading those books, they mention characters that have like third genders and Mm. uh, queer couples. Like it's in their work. It's in the legends. I think that the problem people are having is that now there are other people writing those things. So it's like more obvious. But I just don't think that I think that there were there, you know, so like saying that it's it's not new is what I'm saying in the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, because there have been there have been look, now there are the storylines are bigger, but it you know, I do think that the the it's outer space, right? It's like space a long time ago in a galaxy far away, like millions of species. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can look the same. And that's just not creative. Like from, you know, forget where, where you're from, like creativity allows for expansion. And for me, like creating somebody like Gela, who's coded as Latina, um, it's interesting to think about like, what does Latin America look like in outer space? And I spent a lot of time thinking about this uh, because if there's no if there's no Latin America in outer space, are you know what are we right? And 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 so like what happens to to that culture? Um, but at the end of the day, I feel like I've created this character, and hopefully like people can come to her and say like, wow, I feel seen. And I think that that's all I've ever wanted because I write predominant. I write first and foremost for myself, and then hope that other people come to the table. And so, would you say that this is such a I feel like this is an oversimplified wording, but is how much of Gela is Zoraida? How much of that is the uh, not in a to use the insert word cheaply? I don't mean to at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But at what point are you like, oh, she's talking back to me and I think she might be me. I think there might be (laughs) something going on there. She's helping me figure out what the Latina space experience is. Uh, no, actually, I don't. I think that because I feel like, per, like, personality wise, maybe we're completely different people. I'm way more extroverted than Gala is. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, I like, I, I just think that it's important to just have the physical representation of these characters. Um, and and I, I, I'm not the kind of writer that needs to work through my characters because I've never, I've never had the search for identity. You know, because I, I just very grew up very comfortably understanding who I was and my family and my community. Um, I did not, I grew up in like all Latin and Brown spaces in New York. Mm. Uh, So like, I've never, I've never had that search. Uh, Whereas like, I feel like other people who are Latinx or Latina, whatever um, you prefer uh, in other parts of the country might, right. Like being like the only person uh, in a school. Uh, But I've never, I've never had that. So I don't, I don't use my characters to search for that is what I, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say. But it is important for me to have these characters represented in Star Wars and in all of my work. Is there something that in the Star Wars space that you are particularly excited to see or chopping at the bit to do yourself that you feel is like the next 
thing, uh, something like that. I, I would like to reflect those spaces in New York. I would like to make sort of the brown Latin community. I would like to create this type of person. I want to put this type of, you know, I've, I've talked about with like a character like Sav Malagan and the High Republic, like how she <laughs> feels so much like one of those abuelas like that has, you know, the coffee running and things like that. And how there's there's been those characters that sort of have that not one-to-one, but they have that connection of the real world. Is there a stone left unturned for you at this point? I mean, there, I, I can, there, there's so much that I would like to do, but it's, it really depends on, on, on what I get to write next. So we'll see. I don't think that far ahead, uh, just because of my deadline schedule. <laughs> but, you know, I feel like with Star Wars, the possibilities are always endless. Yeah. And in terms of convergence, again, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it really does have, we talked about sort of like the the man from uncle, the odd couple stuff, but it feels so, again, optimistic is like the word that gets thrown around a lot for the higher public, but it, it feels to me yeah. so sweeping. It feels very like, maybe you'll understand, you know, uh, you're, you're, you're an author, maybe you can help me find the word here. But like, there's something about something like a princess bride that is like, it is swashbuckly, but it's not swashbuckly. I guess it it's romantic, <laughs> but not necessarily romance. It is a romantic thing. It's romantic. I wanted to write a romance. I, I'm a romance writer. And um, I have, I think I like, Push back against it in the first couple of books I wrote uh, in 2012, but against yourself, to... you mean against your instinct? Yeah, against my instinct. Just because mm. I feel like people, uh, there's always like a negative pushback when something has romance in it, um, when it's not labeled supposed to be labeled as a, a romance with a capital R, right? As a genre. The I, but I I purposely I wanted this book to feel romantic with a lower cars low, lowercase R. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a romance in this idea of the only way we can put a stop to this war between these two planets, Aram and Arano, is if we have a marriage alliance mm-hmm. between two people. It is. It's the Romeo and Juliet bargain, right? Because yep. Romeo and Juliet, they don't know why they've been fighting for so long. Yeah. Except that they have been fighting, and and so Aram and Arano, they have a few reasons, but the further back you go. There's no inciting incident of why we have been fighting for centuries and centuries other than just proximity, right? And so I wanted the landscape to feel romantic. I wanted the situations to feel like this like sweeping story. And so I'm glad that you use those descriptors. And I'm glad that you you imbued that in there. I think you I was looking for the word. I think you did it. It's not a it's not a word change. It's a it's the capital R versus the lowercase R to feel romance in a story, to feel a romantic quality in a story, to feel a to feel sort of the the themes of togetherness come forward. I was going to ask you about, you know, what what themes are, are, are resonating with you the most right now or that you want people to take from Convergence so that you're excited about and other stuff such as Path of Deceit, such as Quest, such as, uh, you know, what you can say about the future. These The togetherness is so strongly imbued into all Star Wars, but in the higher public, especially when there is that unity, when there is that we're at our height. But even in phase one, when we hear about Iram and Arano, there's that whole it's been seeded already brilliantly mm-hmm. this idea of 
something's going on there. It's a mystery. Some of our characters have a relationship to that area, to that to that part of the galaxy, like uh, Comac Vitus and Orla. Like there's something something that is going on there with these this these two particular worlds. And the idea of Star Wars commenting on the idea of endless war of how did we even get to this point of generational trauma? I loved the way that that was explored and seeing the way that it passes down. And it's like, why? At what point are we? Are we picking up the sword literally or figuratively for people that we don't even know we couldn't know that we have no responsibility to? Um, and I think that there's a there's a lowercase r romance in the can we break a cycle together? And sometimes that becomes also capital R romance, but it doesn't necessarily need to <laughs> to feel like Star Wars. Like that's why I've always argued, like I think that solo a Star Wars story is an extremely romantic movie just because it has that like find yourself, define yourself, young person story. The story of Han and Chewie is a story of friends, but it's the how did we get each other to the next life phase? And this has that element, but also big mythic implications these worldly implications these cultural implications and i think that you did such a great job with that and so i'm excited for people to experience all that stuff and uh i'm glad just as a reader that you did that you stopped whatever it was that you stopped pushing back on your romance instinct because that's so part of star wars star wars to me i love star wars romance i mean you kanan and hera you know oh like, my god like kill me it's come on the best. <laughs> like that's the that's the stuff kanan and hera the 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 one Kevin scott i haven't had Kevin on the show yet but if i do i'm going to interrogate him what went down between skier and orla jereni something happened i don't know if it was a one night stand i don't know what was going on but <laughs> but there was there's a flirtation and everyone stops and looks like that's a little it's a little hot interesting i mean look star wars star wars would not exist without the central love story of mm-hmm. anakin and padme and you know whoever i know some people don't like romance in their things but it is what it is star wars is about love like the power of love has literally changed this galaxy luke not giving up on his father anakin falling in love like with padme um it has this it's the thing that has sustained this galaxy and created it and changed it and even if it's like sort of in the vegetables right like like vegetables in the like mixed into the food and the rice and whatever it's still this like this all-encompassing thing that that has uh that that's always been there and will always be there and so i i wanted to make sure that was there for this book because it's just such a fun thing to explore especially when it comes to like jedi can a jedi have feelings gela is a car- is a jedi who does have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotion and 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 sort of like looking for the balance of that emotion the difference between love and possession the difference between you know like and and so that was important for me to explore um and and to look at the the two heirs of aram and arano as as examples of how to make something how to make something say i mean if we were talking about the 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 sort of like where the latinx storyline is or and for me it's always going to be the exploration of of generational trauma and migration mm-hmm. right like we're in a time period where the galaxy the galaxy is always in flux but the world is always in flux why do people leave their home planets why do people leave their countries and and what how how are some people forced to move and others choose to move. And so that's in this book as well. Um, because when you're talking about two planets at war, how can some people escape and how can how are some how are others like 
literally just stuck in this situation because of an embargo or the, the you know we're we're at a time period of the galaxy where the the hyperlanes aren't charted and and everything is unknown yeah and it's, it's, it's i think it's <laughs> it is a lie and, and as it should be i mean there's a there's a responsibility star wars has always reflected the times i mean there's you know the, the original trilogy it's very obvious what george was saying about not just the you know the second world war that he had he was a child of the 50s and everything looking back on that the war that was happening at that time i mean ask the man what he what he was saying with the ewoks like ask him about uh you know indigenous peoples versus mechanization and versus colonization and all that stuff then the prequels you've got the trade federation you have a corporation with a seat in government you have a character named newt gunray it's not subtle like it, there's it's always been about the times and what is star wars now we have andor the immigrant story we have stuff like the higher republic talking about expansion but it's not just hyperspace prospectors what i love about phase two so far is that there's this idea of the prospectors but that's nuanced it wasn't some glorious like it was a better it was a better time it was a golden era it was arthurian right. it was uh it was camelot in the political sense as well has been thrown around a lot in the higher public uh in the higher public discourse and, and press but you still oh yeah we went out there into the galaxy and we found more and look what we found and sometimes what we found was a war that was without understanding that just became about pride that just became about uh, territorialness it just became about the othering of a people that are not so different and it's it's just it's completely arbitrary and that's so classic and so excellent and i am just i'm excited for it to be out into the world i'm already frustrated at the weight that we're gonna go through uh for the for the follow-up i imagine it won't be those, too long <laughs> yeah i don't probably, probably yeah i mean in terms of we'll have comics and everything and before i know it uh we'll be talking um with lydia kang which is going to be exciting and i'm sure that those conversations between the two of you have been very exciting. oh yes i mean we were exchanging very Text, we were exchanging text messages furiously throughout the entire writing and editing process. I'd be like, I'm going to cut this scene. I'm going to put, leave this scene, mention this, mention that. Uh, so that was really fun, fun, fun time, like collaborating with Lydia and just like making sure that we were talking and, and syncing our characters um, together so that like their voices are consistent. Uh, and, you know, young Axel Greylark and his journey uh, is going to be great. I can't wait to see what Lydia does with him and Gela and, and, and the rest of the gang. Yeah, and and just uh, Gela and Axel Greylark, I mean, just two of the most, th those covers, just models, just beautiful, <laughs> beautiful people. Just the, the, it, must be, it must be so surreal to write someone and then have someone say, by the way, here they are. Here yeah, they I are can't wait. Like, I see that you have uh, like a J Jake Bartok thing. Yeah, I actually a... have, I have like three of his, uh, his, his art pieces. One of Ventress, my girl, Hey. Uh, and and Luke, of course, and um, and it's just really funny. Um, I don't think he's done Gela yet, but he will. Uh, I, I I hope that he will. Yeah, he's done. He did Path of Deceit. He did uh, the new Marvel run and he did Quest so far. But, you know, he's always building out his big, big wide pieces and everything. So I know we're going to get uh, Axel and Gela and everyone together soon. But yeah, I mean, the, the design, gorgeous. I don't know how much say you get in like lightsaber design or costume design, color choice and all that stuff. I mean, you've got to write it in. So I guess you do get that say. Um, but um, yeah, I think we have an understanding of like what the era looks like 
um, I, I, I wanted her to have two lightsabers and I, the only thing that they told me was like, I had, they had to be the same color. So <laughs> mm, that's an interesting so I note. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's, yeah. I wonder if that's a, uh, thematics or something. The lightsaber colors things is such an interesting thing. And obviously was much more explored in legends and who knows what will happen. I'm a big fan of the modern Canon, uh, crystal bleeding. I think that that is, that's something that Canon has done that I've been a huge fan of. So, uh, and that's a very nitty gritty thing, which is a perfect segue into this questionnaire here. So, Zoraida, I don't know if you, like me, ever watched uh, Inside the Actors Studio, but they would always end with a questionnaire for anyone that was on, any actor or filmmaker. And I have modified it to be Star Wars based because... My, okay. my show is nothing if not a shameless ripoff of what James Lipton was doing. Uh, rest in peace, James Lipton. Best interviewer ever. Okay. These are not difficult, but they might take some time. Zoraida Cordova, number one. What is your favorite Star Wars word? Thank Barrick. <laughs> <laughs> that has been coming up more and more frequently, and I love it. Uh, everybody everybody should put a dank ferric into their thing. I think it might be it might be their best swear word. It might it might be it might be. It might be in convergence. I'm pretty sure I used it. I think it I think it is. I think that I think like uh, you can you can find the point in phase one when it had been said and then it starts to come up like in the comments. You're like, well, we're using it now. (laughs) Yep. yep. Uh, What is your least favorite Star Wars word? Oh, I can't think of it. I can't think of it. I think I hate Jabba. (laughs) The sounds just it doesn't it doesn't gel with you. It doesn't gel with me. <laughs> mm, that's interesting, Java. Yeah, and I guess the connotations is like gross, disrespectful, <laughs> sort of just like yeah, like like uses people, not kind, eats little creatures. Yeah, that's not, the, the connotations there are not great with Java, unless Ezra is using it as a fake name, and then in which case we enjoy it sometimes. Now, uh, the original question that James would ask here is just very vaguely. What turns you on? I have changed that uh, to uh, <laughs> what inspires you or ignites your spark in Star Wars. Hmm. The thing that inspires me, like the spark of story is the quest for somebody's place in a galaxy that is too big to understand. That's the root of all of my favorite characters. Hmm. Uh, in Star Wars. I, that resonates very deeply with me. I think that, I mean, you, you can't see it here. Like my tattoo on my upper arm is Sabine Wren's last helmet from Rebels, the one from the epilogue where she leaves with Ahsoka, which will also be the one that we're going to see her wear now in live action, which is very surreal. It's very surreal. So I've got that helmet here. And then I have this green heart that just says Grogu and Orabesh across oh. it because I, I, I love how much they symbolize the ideas and they embody ideas of more. What's next? What this, this, but with Grogu, it's this baby, this expansion, this understanding of life, seeing the frog lady babies get born, reaching out to the rancor. And with Sabine, it was, I'm creating this art and I'm finding my place in this family. But then Rebels doesn't end. Rebels says, we'll see you later. And mm-hmm. there's and there's still, there's another place yet to be found. And I thought that her just walking away and that show ending that way of, I'm going to go find my family. And I think that that was so powerful. Uh, but on the other end, the question again, originally would have been, what turns you off? But what challenges you or gives you pause in Star Wars? The thing that challenges me about Star Wars is, I guess, understanding who the real villains are, Mm. right? 
And I think that it, that's such a general thing. Uh, it's a general answer, maybe a little vague. Because the villain, I feel like the villain is never who you think it is, right? Like the uh, mm-hmm. there's like obvious villains, and then there's like the smaller people who are carrying out the villains machinations Mm -hmm. um it gives me pause in a way of like let me think about this because i'm i don't know maybe i'm just too nice i just like writing about the heroes (laughs) i'll let charles sewell write the villains (laughs) yeah i I feel like there's been a not like a line drawn but you can definitely (laughs) see like i wonder what the the next delilah dawson book's gonna be oh it's a villain book like that that (laughs) like She's got that instinct. She's got, you know, Phasma and now mm-hmm. with this Inquisitor and Charles. I mean, Charles, <laughs> you've written some heinous stuff, my friend. I um, love him. We love him. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. But that's an interesting answer. I mean, it, it is challenging sort of to see sort of the levels of villainy. I mean, there's there's people like Watto. It's like you you own slaves. Like you're you are also a Star Wars villain. Like you were mm-hmm. Anakin's original antagonist of his life as funny little blue alien that you are. Like you were. I think about DJ a lot. Like a villain through apathy of of through saying like the, he's the both sides villain. Not both sides. Who cares? Don't fight. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a villain, uh, especially now. So it's very interesting. Very good answer. Uh, this one, probably easier. What sound or noise do you love in Star Wars? I love the crackle of the lightsaber. I wanted to write lightsaber battle in Convergence. I could have written more. Like, honestly, if if I had more time, I feel like this book would have been like 600 to 1,000 pages long. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I can't wait to listen to the audiobook and 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 hear like the crackle mm. of the lightsaber. Flip side, what sound or noise do you hate in Star Wars? I don't know. I've never thought about that. I have never thought about maybe like when there's like a a slimy character and there's like a glub <laughs> like a little bit of like a like a mouth sound or like yeah, a yeah yeah something like like a glub or something like that and the mandalorian where he where there's like the spider and the spider's cracking out maybe that too like it's mm. creepy mm-hmm. uh but um yeah i can't think of i can't think of much oh wait no geonosis those little bugs that that episode in the clone wars Oh yeah, uh, where where they're they have like the zombies, like they mm-hmm. they zombify the the poor troopers, the little parasitic, like the uh-huh. yeah, yeah yeah that that slimy noise. <laughs> so yeah, so for you, it's slimy. Any type of organic sack thing being broken or yes, <laughs> the, the, there's a there's a family of automatopoeia here. Like if in yeah. comic books, like the like like something yep. like mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh blub glub like you said uh you've already kind of answered this so i will just have you choose a second one your favorite star wars curse word is its own question you've already given dank ferrick so mm-hmm. do you have another one that you like we got lots of lots to choose from there's your poodoos there's your ichutas there's your ichuta um i you know slimo is just such a good word mm. it it does everything it needs to do. Yeah. Uh, Slimo to me is always read as a hole. Mm-hmm. Because of Slimo. Like, yep. It has it. And there's so many people that like embody that, right? Like used car salesmen. <laughs> <laughs> like Saul Goodman. Uh, like somebody, those types. Yes. Like, yeah. Somebody trying to sell you a lemon mm-hmm. or, or just like a jerk who lives next door or something, you know, it, 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 it has, it has a lot of range. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love that. Let's talk about, I've got a few more here. Talk about your range. What Star Wars profession would you like to attempt? 
Oh my God. I think I would like to be, I would like to be a Jedi, <laughs> but I would like to be a way seeker. Yes. Uh, on my own. Just, you know, try just like just a, a, a Jedi making her way through the galaxy. Or I would, I would also want to be an aspiring smuggler because I feel like I would, I would be a good at like smuggling for like a good cause <laughs> like we're, we need to release all these porgs so that these you know this lab doesn't use them as guinea pigs i i would that would be kind of interesting i mm. feel <laughs> i love this the whole little short story that you just came up with with a, an animal rights activist smuggler, smuggler. yep that's that's what i would want to do because officially in the world of batu Mm. Myself, Will Sliney, uh, Ethan Sachs, and Delilah Dawson's, we are considered uh, historians mm -hmm. of the Star Wars universe because, you know, you stay in world at Batu, So, like, you can't ask for Galaxy's Edge the book by an author. You ask for the historian, Zoraida Cordova. <laughs> right, yeah, the actual, the account of what happened there, mm -hmm. which was... You know, like Delilah, I remember at the opening of Galaxy's Edge, she's Delilah meeting Vimerati. And it's like, that's the in-world. She has chronicled her life. And it, yeah, that was fun and meta. Uh, on the flip side, though, what Star Wars profession would you least like to attempt? I mean, probably cleaning out the stalls of, of those uh, those big space horses. <laughs> oh, the, the Fathers? <laughs> the Fathers, yeah. yeah. That yeah. would be a bad job. Working for Jabba the Hutt would be a bad job so you'd mm -hmm. always end up dead or like a casualty honestly i feel like working for the empire at at like one of those little computers somebody's gonna take my star wars card for not knowing what those stations are called <laughs> you mean like like sort of like in the pit in where the like pit, yep, vader walks pit. by and you're he's up here yep. yeah and then like because you never know like one day you're like you're just doing your work you're just like checking the diagnostics of like some turbo thing and and you die and then the next and then you're like oh no he's just having a hissy fit uh because that young skywalker escaped him again and then he just kills you so it's like <laughs> yeah not not recommended yep. probably very not low on like uh if you go on like indeed or like one of those like zip recruiter empires probably like got very low ratings um in terms of that now Two more. Last one is always guest specific. This is the last one of the official one. In the original questionnaire, the question was, if heaven exists, what do you think God would say when you get to the pearly gates? To Star Warsify that, I have said, if you stepped into the Dagobah cave or the mirror cave on Octo or Mortis or any other force heavy location, what do you think you'd see? That is deep. That is so deep. Um, I don't know. I think I would see, I would see myself. Because I feel like I have a very good understanding of who I already am. Yeah, like myself as I am now. That's powerful. That's nice. That's a lot better than what Yoda got. He got Dark Yoda. That was that was, <laughs> that was not a good time. You got more of a Ray situation of yeah. I yeah, yeah. I love I love my girl. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then guest specific bonus question. I always change the eleventh one. Which Star Wars character is most like Zoraida Cordova? God damn it. I know who I want to be like, you know, I want to be a, a little chaotic like Han yeah. and a little brave like Leia, but I'm probably just sometimes there are characters that are parts of you, right? Like I feel like for a long time growing up, I was like Kanan, right? Sort of like frustrated at the world, mm -hmm. just doing my job and 
going through going through the motions. Man, that's a really hard one too. Because it's it's hard to separate who you love in general mm-hmm. for reasons. And do you love them because they remind you of you? Or do yeah. you love them because for other for other want, reasons? Want to be versus like I honestly am. I you know, I feel like people might get mad at me, but I'm I'm just gonna say Ray. Just gonna say Ray. <laughs> no, I think that's a great answer. It's a phenomenal. She's character. very positive, yeah. despite everything that's happened to her. She's so been a lot, yeah. And uh, I like to think that I'm very positive. <laughs> I think you are. I think you are a very positive person, and I think that this has been a very positive conversation. And I can't believe it's already <laughs> over. Um, that was great. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks for talking about your journey, your Star Wars journey, the world, life, creativity. Star Wars specifics, how much you don't like Java and other weird mouth sounds <laughs> and, and creature stuff. We covered a lot and hopefully we will do it again down the road because I know your Star Wars journey is not over. Um, I always joke with people off air. I'm never going to waste someone's time saying what's next for you in Star Wars because if they even knew, they couldn't say. So I will just say to you, why don't you tell people what they can look for from your library of work, what they can look for, what you think maybe Star Wars fans in particular might like and where they can find you on socials and follow along with all of your projects in life absolutely if you're a fantasy fan i have a series called the hollow crown it's a duology uh the first book is called incendiary it is basically a band of rebels trying to destroy an evil empire uh but it's a high fantasy world inspired by medieval spain that's our it's complete I have a magical realism adult novel called The Inheritance of Arcadia Divina. And I have some romance novels coming up. Uh, One is a retelling of The Little Mermaid. Mm. It's an official Disney book. Um, It's part of their Disney princess line where the Disney princesses are basically young millennial women looking for love. And so I turned Ariel into a pop star who goes incognito on an indie rock tour. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So is, is Eric like the indie rock frontman or yes. something? Oh, that's so cool. That's rad. That's really uh, and Ariel's dad is the CEO and president of Atlantica Records. Um, and so she, it's like, she basically takes off her red wig and is like a normal girl. Uh, and it's called Kiss the Girl. And that comes out next year, August 1st. And then now I'm just working on my next books. So I'm going to see what's what's going to happen next. Oh, uh, also, The High Republic revealed a an, an anthology mm. of young adult stories um, from different parts of the phases, phase one, phase two, and phase three. So those are going to be, that's going to be coming out next year as well. And I'm working on a story set slightly before phase two. Slightly before phase two. So everybody now start doing your math. Phase two, we know is before. So what we're talking about here is feasibly one of the earliest points. One of the earliest points that we've seen uh, in the whole shebang, which is very exciting. So thank you for sharing all of that. I am. We have to talk more off air about that uh, that Little Mermaid thing because that is hysterical. The whole idea of Atlantica Records is that's awesome. That's really really cool. That is uh, my pride and joy. <laughs> the, the the Hannah Montanification yep, of, of, of Princess Ariel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that. And then your socials, your Twitter is I, they're different, right? I can't remember. My, which yeah, my yeah. Twitter is because I started them. With before I got published. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so my Twitter is the phrase Z like 
in Zorro. And but I love my, that. That's so cool. Thank though. you. I mean, I you know having to spell my name for people for a hundred years, and then this my Instagram is Zoraida Solo. Perfect. Z like in Zorro, Zoraida Solo. It sort of rhymes, and they're going to be in the description there uh, for everybody to click and find out more, as well as your website, as well as uh, links to the books and all that. So again, thanks so much for your time. This has been wonderful. Uh, as for me personally, you can find me everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that good stuff at that. Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z. Octa Radio Star Wars Podcast is on all your podcast platforms. If you're on Apple or Spotify, leave stars, leave reviews. Uh, and then that's Octa Radio, A-H-C-H-T-O Radio. We've got more fun and or discussions coming up. Well, I don't know if they're fun and or discussions. It's more heavy, uh, uh, in-depth and or discussions coming up. Some more interviews with people that from the Lucasfilm side of things, from the higher public side of things. Um, they're going to be coming up. Daniel Jose Older is returning to the show. Uh, James Waz coming on the show. There's a few other other things uh, in the works that I'm really excited about. Our Rebels rewatch series is going to be continuing as we continue to move through that wonderful show once again with our commentaries and all that with myself and Nikki Kumar. Find me over on Casterly Talk talking about fantasy stuff, Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, Lord of the Rings. But for right now, for me, for Zoraida Cordova, for all of the wonderful characters in Convergence, we will catch you next time. Punch it, Chewie!